Welcome to podcast number 155 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is April the 5th, 2022, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Bridget Finnegan. Bridget is an illustrator, designer, animator, publisher, and author. A versatile illustrator and designer, Bridget has been able to stretch her legs creatively over her career with projects including the creation of packaging, dolls, websites, maps, technical illustrations, and multifaceted advertising campaigns. She has illustrated, written, and published several books under her company imprint, Dwaddle Publishing, LLC. Her novel, Odette's, sports a unique setting and a very interesting private detective, Jessamine Jakes. Bridget has a degree in photography from Washington University and an MBA from Plymouth State University. She lives in Durham, New Hampshire with her family. Welcome to my favorite detective stories. I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Come sit by my campfire as we listen to crime fiction writers talking about their flawed fictional detectives. I will alternate weekly between award-winning and best-selling authors with debut authors who have overcome all the obstacles to get their first novel out into the world. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong, small-town cozy mystery series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com, and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free. Hi, Bridget. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's wonderful to be here from beautiful Durham, New Hampshire, where the sun is slightly out and it's a lovely 22 degrees. (laughs) Well, it's winter in New England, that's for sure. It is. It is. Down on the coast, as we record this today, January 13th, 2022, it's actually getting a little warmer out. We've gone through a couple days of the polar vortex, and now it's uh, high 30s, low 40s. Sun is shining, so it's warm on my face, so it's kind of nice. So I think we met, or we definitely attended, the crime bake in uh, Dedham, Massachusetts about a month and a half ago. That's how fast things are flying. And that's where you and I connected in terms of you being a writer and me being a podcaster, if I'm not mistaken. That is very much correct. I was um, actually heavily involved with volunteering for Crime Bake this year. So I think that we met at the check-in desk where I was checking people in. So it was very nice to meet you. As well with you. And I'm glad that you took my offer to uh, come on as a guest today. You've got a really interesting novel that we're going to get into a little bit later on. But right now, I'd like you to just tell me about how you got started with your writing and how it's taken you to this place. Sure. Well, I've spent the vast majority of my career as a visual artist. Um, I've been a graphic designer, photographer, illustrator for many years. And then I decided about eight years ago that I wanted to try to produce some illustrated coloring books. And I did produce two. And I had never written anything with a plot or anything with any kind of narrative. But after I completed those, I decided I wanted to try to do a graphic novel for children. So I wrote a book about the birds of Lake Winnipesaukee, but it's actually 
it's not reality-based. It takes place during World War II and the birds are all kind of running amok. There's very few humans in the book. So that kind of led me to think that I could try writing a novel. And for one thing, I was very excited to be able to change the plot without having to re-illustrate everything. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I started writing probably, let's it was probably four years ago now. And Odette's was the result after three years of hard work. Okay. Now, I know Lake Winnipesaukee. I'm a visitor every August there. No, it's not for the bike, you know, down in Livonia. <laughs> it's uh, for an intentional community that has uh, met on the lake shores for nearly 100 years. Not that I've been there for all of those, obviously, but wonderful lake, beautiful. It's in central New Hampshire, I guess maybe about an hour north of Concord. And how far are you from Lake Winnipesaukee as the crow flies? <laughs> as the crow flies, not very far. Uh, the southern end of the lake, uh, Alton, is probably a 30-minute drive. Okay. Uh, but it's a big lake. So yeah. um, the part that we usually go to is uh, Moultonboro area, which is on the northern side. So mm -hmm. it's still, no. still not far. No, um, where our group is is on Geneva Point uh, off of uh, Moultonboro Neck. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. We're on Moultonboro Neck also. So Okay. Yeah. So anyway, just wanted to touch base with you about that a little bit. So getting into Odette's, I want to read a little passage first, and then I want you to comment on it, and then and we're going to do a deep dive into your protagonists, and there's a couple. So the five years have not been kind to the madam. Her once milky skin is now pockmarked and ruddy. She looks like a large pincushion in her silk dress. You've done very well for yourself, Anastasia. I mean, Jessamine. Jay Jake's discreet inquiry seems to have taken off. I heard that Captain Pritchard gave you this house, she says as she waves her hand around the well-appointed room. It was his mother's, right? You must have serviced him really well, she chuckles, even though the house was payment for locating a shipment of stolen goods for the captain's company. Jessamine says nothing in response to the baiting. Why are you here, Odette? It's Suzanne. She's missing, the old woman responds. After five years, Jessamine still feels the sting of Sweetness's rejection. Why would you care about her being missing? She must have been in more trouble than she was worth lately, with the opium. I've grown to care about her like a daughter. And I'll leave it at that. So, nice little piece of writing there. Bridget really enjoyed it a great deal. Thank you. And it's a little snapshot into the book itself. So tell me about Jasmine and tell me about her family. And let's just talk about this very flawed fictional detective and how she became a detective. Sure. So I think that was an excellent choice of a snippet to read because it does tell the tale of Jasmine was a former prostitute and she worked for Odette in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. About when? 1850s. Okay. And 1850s in Portsmouth were very, it was a very rowdy town. There was a lot of shipbuilders, a lot of sailors there. There was tons of taverns and brothels. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite notorious for that. I mean, if you ever visit now, it's, it's very much different. So she um, worked at this brothel and she came to know a young woman who, when they met, she was about 10 or 11 years old. And she, this young woman is, is a, an escaped slave who somehow was separated from her mother at age five and has been living at the whorehouse until that point. Mm. So five years go by that they're both working there and 
she, in the interim, teaches the young woman how to read. And she also finds herself at the end of five years pregnant. Okay. So she decides that she needs to make a change in her life. And she had been all along sort of helping like men would come to see her for sex, but they would also talk about problems they were having in business or whatever else. And she sort of developed these detectiving skills and ended up actually starting to earn money doing that. So she finally has enough with the house, the, the captain, you know, having traded her the house, she has enough that she can make her way out the door with Sarah. So that has all happened prior to the book. And then what you just read is the, is the opening scene where Odette has come to hire her to find this missing prostitute who was Justin's former lover, Sweetness. Okay. Yeah. So she's got a lot of layers to her. I say so. <laughs> the name of the novel is Odette's Equality Men's Club. And then yes. in parentheses, uh, J. Jake's Discreet Inquiries. So yes. yes. So Odette is the... The madam. The, the madam, yes. yes. The madam. Yes. Jeez. Yes. I blanked on that. I should know these things, you know, oh, be, yes. being a crime <laughs> yes, writer. Yes, that's very important. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so they embark on, on an adventure. And I, one of the things I love to write, like I'm watching a movie and I like to basically throw out all of this craziness and then try to figure out how to wrap it all up at the end. So mm. the plot uh, is... One of my favorite reviews said that it was furiously, furiously paced. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's um, kind of a um, rousing plot that goes all the way to, I'm trying to not give too much away, but no. you actually go to uh, the Antebellum South and learn more about her daughter, Sarah's people and how all of this came to be. Mm. Plus there's actually a shipwreck and a missing treasure. So <laughs> that sounds like a really good book. Honestly, yeah. it does. Now, your main protagonist, uh, but you also, did you mention the name of her, uh, the child that she was with when she left the brothel? The young woman that she left with was, her name is Sarah. They had different names. One of the things in the house of ill repute, they were all given different names. They were kind of cast in different roles. Okay. And, you know, so Jessamine was cast as Anastasia, who was supposed to be Russian royalty. And can't even remember what Sarah's name was, but Odette would create backstories for them. These very elaborate backstories that were, you know, supposed to entice men into <laughs> into hiring their services. Sure. So they abandon those names and they pick the names Jessamine and Sarah. And then she the, she ends up having a small boy, which because she's pregnant, and his I forgot what his name is. All of a sudden, <laughs> anyway, I'll remember it. Um, It'll come anyway, to he, you. Um, <laughs> well, I'm actually writing another book right now, so I'm getting all confused about the, the name of the characters. He's a, a little one. Jonah is his name, and she calls him Na. Okay. And so he's, yeah, so was trying to create kind of a family unit. He also serves, because Sarah really was deprived of her childhood. She behaves like a five-year-old a lot of time with him. Mm. So they have some nice interactions. A little different family unit, for sure. Yes, definitely. 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 For real. Now, and it's that pre-Civil War, which is kind of unique in itself, yep. harbinger of things to come. It's set up very well in terms of what the uh, politics are, North and South. Also, the fact that the main love, uh, means of transportation was shipping or sh on ships. I'm not sure that railroads were effective in the early 1850s, but that's my lack of understanding of transportation as opposed to what truly was, but being along the, this Eastern seaboard. Yeah. I could see where, you know, she could get up and down, not easily, but, but still get up and down from up North to down South. 
Yeah, railroads, they were there. It wasn't always easy to navigate. Okay. A lot of people had not, they do fit, factor into the story. That's the only reason that I know this, but, you know, a lot of people had never taken a rail, they'd never taken a train. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, it does, that actually, you know, figures into it, into the plot about the difficulty of it. But they were starting to emerge for sure. So what made you think about this story? What made you think about and writing Jessamine? I mean, I, your eyes just didn't pop open one morning and say, 1850s, Portmouth, New Hampshire, <laughs> brothels, uh, you know, and then this whole family uh, dynamic. I mean, so how did this all come to be? So um, a couple of things sort of converged. One, uh, I live on the seacoast and I live in an area called Great Bay. And there is an island near where I live, which used to have a tavern on it. And there were bridges that went to the island and then went to the other shoreline. And in February of 1855, the bridge was washed out by ice. And it's quite incredible. The water here is like 80 feet deep and the, the current is like the seventh strongest in the world. Really? So it's, it's astonishing that they were able to even build this bridge to start with and the fact that it, it actually survived for so long. I come from a family of historians. So <laughs> my brother actually, he dug up information on this on the bridge. Uh, but so I was kind of fascinated by the fact that there was this tavern there and that pretty much they decided not to rebuild the bridge and the whole tavern is gone. So that's that event happened. And then I was also reading a book by J. Dennis Robinson, who's a local historian up here, about the murder on the Isles of Shoals. And I'm not sure if you ever had heard about this. No, but no. In 1873, there was a, a famous murder case where uh, there was a this Norwegian family. It was actually just women were out when the murders happened. And this guy rode seven miles out because he wanted to rob them and ended up murdering a couple of them. And one woman escaped and was had, was actually hiding. But it was became a it's a, became a pretty famous story back in the day. You know, newspapers picked it up. It was obviously sensationalized. Mm-hmm. Even though that takes place 20 years after my book, he did a fantastic job about writing about what Portsmouth was like at that time. Oh, good. So it kind of you know sparked my interest. And another thing that, that kind of figured in was uh, Erica Armstrong Dunbar has a great book about Ona Judge, who was Washington's slave, who escaped. And she actually came to this area. She came to Portsmouth and Greenland. So I was kind of – I was intrigued by this young woman – making it, you know, heading out on her own and coming to New England. So these kind of things, they all kind of percolated. And I just started writing <laughs> no, and, uh, and researching could, and stuff. So so you wrote in the genre of a what would be a crime novel, yes, but is it procedural or thriller or mystery? Or how would you put the genre for it? So I would say it's mystery. Okay. I would say that one of the things that's, Interesting is that not a lot of the people in the book who are trying to solve cases and crimes are particularly good at their jobs. So <laughs> no, I, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're all like you know the police and that and this is sort of accurate. The police at that time there was like almost no money for them. You know they mm-hmm. didn't really have any training, mm-hmm. so they were kind of a disaster area. Mm-hmm. And so you know that kind of sets it up like why would you need all these detectives around solving crimes if you if the cops were kind of efficient and and well you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but and she's even i mean i you know i love her to death but she's not always great at being a detective okay she and sarah make a very good team sarah is very intelligent creative she's an artist she's also very bright very good at solving puzzles and you know Mm -hmm. whenever there's kind of like somebody needs to go do research on something sarah is the one who does that part so okay they do make a very good team and Jessamine's uh, interviewing skills, as you said, that she 
Well, she spent quite a bit of time with men, so she understands how to talk to them as well. Yep. And that brings me to an interesting question because we're playing females in 19, or excuse me, 1850, definitely before emancipation, definitely before women had a more prominent role in terms of some of the other professions. What are the obstacles that they seem to be able to overcome because of their unique situation? I think that's a great question. One thing, Jessamine is going to be, she's riding her horse to this tavern, which is the last place where they saw um, Suzanne or where she was seen. And um, she, you know, decides that she can't stand wear like, you know, the usual lady garb because it's just too uncomfortable on the, the horse and everything. So she like throws it and you know, puts on her men's clothes. And she talks about how, how it makes men nervous to have women wearing men's clothes. And mm. she knows that, like, she know, you know, like you said, she was a prostitute for, for years. So she mm. understands sort of how to be, you know, be a little manipulative. And Sarah does not tend to interview people um, for one reason. It's just it's not so much about, you know, her color. It is that she's, she's very straightforward. She's just not good at, she's never, was not very good at being a prostitute. She's never been good at being charming with men, you know, mm-hmm. men. She's very smart and uh, she's very, you know, bookish and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she tends to do that kind of, that kind of thing. But yeah, Jessamine is, Jessamine is a little bit better at it. Okay. But together, one plus one equals way one, one and three quarters. So yes. yeah, we kind of get that. Now we understand that. That's interesting how they work together as a team to solve the mystery. And the mystery is locating Suzanne, who was mentioned in the passage as sweetness, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. They did. They had a brief kind of affair while they were right before Jessamine and Sarah left. But sweetness, as you can tell from the passage, had ended it sure. or rejected her. So, and you find out a lot more about why that happened and everything. So, the only thing that's missing from this story is rock and roll because we have sex, drugs, and opium. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. I, I say that as a joke. Oh, no. No, but we are talking about the reality of life, not the uh, romanticized version of it by any stretch of the imagination. You're in a uh, rowdy uh, ship town. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, you're, I mean, that's completely correct. There's definitely some lively moments, some some lighthearted moments because, you know, even like within the brothel, there's a lot of women in there. And I mean, you just, you have to be able to joke and they have to talk about the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Johns and, mm-hmm. you know, in disparaging terms. And I started actually making up sex terms that I thought would be, you know, entertaining and that seemed like they could have come from the 1850s. I did do some Googling on it and there were some really hilarious ones. Okay. Like basket making, like euphemisms for, for sexual acts. Okay. So I just, so I have the, the prostitutes all kind of talk in these kind of, it, it's not, it's, there's not like, there's no actual profanity in there, but it just, mm-hmm. you can read like it is because no. that's, you know, you can make anything. A, <laughs> oh, I get it. Um, no, I, yeah. I, I understand exactly. Euphemisms. Yes. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Definitely. So, yeah, it's not. Um, it's not. It's not all grim. And I did have fun. You know, the bad guys. I did have fun, sort of torturing them mm-hmm. <laughs> as they get their comeuppance. So comeuppance, yes, a term from that time, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So when did you uh, type those magical words? The end. I actually, it was March of twenty nineteen. No, when was it when we started the pandemic? Yeah, twenty twenty. March twenty twenty twenty. Yes, I was going to originally. It was going to come out in March of twenty twenty, and I, I just said, you know, I don't think this is a good time to be putting out a book because I'm not going to have it in me to be even promoting it. Just seems weird. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm really happy that I did that because, as you probably realize too, you put something down and you leave it for 
months and then you pick it up again and you see it with totally fresh eyes. Mm. So really took the time to kind of review and improve it. And um, so I ended up, I probably was the end was probably, probably January of 2020. Since I've been a designer all my life and know how to do Amazon, all the publishing things, mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to do it myself. So I was working at that point, I was working on galleys and working on book cover design and everything else that goes along with it. So, which I did do editing after that, which is something to me is very interesting. I, I can't imagine handing over my manuscript to somebody and having them design it and then not making changes to it. I don't know. I think that's all part of the fun. Well, I'm different than you. I'm not right or wrong. Crayons and stick figures is about as far as I could go with uh, <laughs> design. And I just absolutely marvel at people like yourselves that have that talent that can take a visual idea and create something that is demonstrative of uh, the essence of the book. I can't do that. So what I do know, though, is when I look at comparison authors and I see basically how how it should look in that in the also bots on Amazon – I get an idea of what it should be. So when I mention this author, this author, this author, this author to my cover designer, I get back a product that is very much within keeping of the genre and in keeping mm-hmm. of what I want to do. And many times I am just so surprised by their creativity. So whereas you have that creativity and you won't don't want to relinquish that, so to speak, I know that's a weakness for me. And I just marvel when somebody can show me personification of my protagonist or catching the mood and the lighting and catching everything right that just explains what my novel's about. But you did your own editing. How did that feel? Oh, I didn't actually. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad some, you said that. Yeah. Oh, no. No, <laughs> okay. I have no way. Everybody needs an editor. I have, in fact, Thank I, you. <laughs> I absolutely, and I love them dearly. No, my um, primary editor was a person I've known for many years, Erica Mance, who, okay. um, she actually is a journalist. And then I had several other people do sort of heavy lifting for me. Specifically, Colleen Flaherty was another one who did a lot of work for me. And she's actually in an MFA writing program right now mm. in New York. But she was she was great. The two of them, the vast majority of it. And, and I mean, Erica read like, you know, 18 drafts. So God bless her. Oh, my um, Lord. <laughs> like, yeah, she, I just kept saying, you know, I, I was so needy because it's the first thing I ever wrote, you know. So I'm like every 10 minutes, I'm like looking for affirmation. She was great. And then Colleen did great work, too. So I had but I had I, anybody who would read it and give me feedback. I was all over it. Mm. Even the cover and everything else that I designed. I mean, I, I think after being a creative for you know a long time, you realize that everything gets better with feedback. So mm-hmm. I, I always pro feedback. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and anyone that gets their nose out of joint out of uh, feedback from their beta readers or their advanced reading team or their developmental editor, their structural editor, copy editor, and the proofreader, I really think they have to take a chill pill and realize that their interests are your interest, and that is to make it the best book that you possibly can. So when did you finally uh, release it to the world? On the Ides of March, March 15th, 2021. Oh, boy. So So this is, yeah. Wow. (laughs) So a, a whole year later so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And it just felt like timing wise. I mean, I had a little bit of, I guess, you know, summer is a big season for, for the local bookstores, even though, um, mm-hmm. you know, local, I mean, I love local bookstores, but that's not where we help where most people are selling their books. No. Um, I, it just seemed like that was the right time of year for it. And mm-hmm. I was able to get some good press, which locally. was nice. Locally. Um, yeah. Local yeah. press. Yeah. So that all kind of came together. I'm not sure that my current book's going to be ready 
would be ready by March this year, but I'm not sure I'm married to that date, but I had this, mm. you know, I thought the Ides of March would be fun every year. So. Mm. <laughs> if I could write a book a year, that would be great, but I don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> well, and, you know, there's other things that happen in life too, and you set your own pace and you set your own goals. You're the publisher, you're the author, you're the person that is going to decide when it's going to be right. And like the fine wine, you're not going to let any wine become wine until it's time. And uh, you're not going to let this book come out until it's, you're ready with it. So is it a follow-up on Jessamine and Sarah, or is it something new? Well, what it is, it's actually, I had this notion about writing about the same agency in Portsmouth, but not with the same characters. So this oh. one actually, this actually, this one takes place in nineteen in the 1980s. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> completely different. And yeah. I'm going to do, I am going to go back and do, there will be some in between, but, and I have this, I have the whole it's still the J. Jake's Discreet Inquiries Agency. Okay. Uh, but I've created this whole family tree of Jake's families because it's going to be various, you know, throughout the era. So it will be various characters from the family that are running the agency. After this first one where I was writing about an era where there's nobody, you know, nobody around still, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to try to write one which was sort of my contemporaries. And Portsmouth in the 1980s was, uh, I mean, it was they used to say that it was the town with a, of a thousand bars and like no good restaurants. I mean, the good <laughs> restaurants started coming in at that point. They had like a little food renaissance happening, but it was, um, you know, I was in college at that time and it was just, okay. I, don't, I thought it would be fun to try to write something from that era. So this one is definitely a little bit different. Okay. I have my eyeballs on what maybe kind of like 1914, maybe for the next one. I'm not sure. Cool. So we'll see. What it sounds like what you decided to do was have fun and decided that, you know, what would it be like if I did this? What if it was like if I did that? Well, I would like to try this out. I would like to try out that. And I think talking to an indie author as yourself and myself being one too is your first and most important reader is yourself. If you're going to sit down and do 75, 80,000, 100,000 words, you better be interested in what you want to write about. You want to care about the characters. You want to care about the plot. You want to care about all those things. Any of those writers that I think decide that they're going to write a series and it's just going to be a machine, they're selling themselves short and they're not really listening to what they want to do and how they want to do it. Okay, so maybe possibly writing that series and just churning it out over and over and over again, the same thing, but just a different setting, maybe that is commercially viable and I'm not going to argue that it's not, mm -hmm. but I just think it sucks the life out of your soul. <laughs> so I agree. I could not. I mean, I might write a, se a sequel to this first Odette's book just because the characters, people are very interested in, at the end, like what happens to the characters. And I don't think I'm equipped to write a series like that. No, okay. <laughs> well, no. And what you were saying was people would might want to ask for it, but you have to say to yourself, am I interested in doing 75, 80,000 words? Is there going to be a plot that I'm going to care about caring? Do I want to take these characters and develop them more and show a series arc with them. Those are things that you're going to ask yourself. And if it's not a hell yeah, then I would say just keep doing what you're doing. And that yeah. is, if you want to bounce around, heck, I mean, you've got the, the tether. The tether is the town, Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. How it changes is going to be interesting to your readers. The time periods or the eras are going to be interesting if you bring them to life. And the other tether is also the, the J. Jake's uh, Discreet Inquiries, which is, I think is a great name for a uh, private investigation firm, by the way. Oh, thank you. It is. Well, did you know in real life I'm a real-life private investigator? 
Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> so for my listeners that don't know that, if they were to Google HODA investigations, they'd see my smiling face and that of my son. And I've been a private investigator for the last 25 years. So there's nothing unique about that. It's my name and it's investigations. But when I saw Jay Jake's discrete inquiries, I just, I had that sense of like Artemis Gordon and, and the wild, wild West, so, <laughs> sort of that, uh, you know, like you said, 1850s type feeling. And I just thought that was really neat the way you put that together. So, Well, thank you. I like the um, the name. It, it it works for the 1980s because the guy who who's running the the uh, agency at that point is is total anachronism. Like he's definitely from a different time, you know. And so it's it sort of fits. Good. That's perfect. I mean, you know, the name of the the company is emblematic. <laughs> emblematic of the the old crudgeon, curmudgeon. Yeah. Yes. As I stumble over my words. Anyway. <laughs> anyhow. So who did you use read? That helped influence your writing. And just give me some ideas of some of the authors that you want to uh, say that helped you formulate this book and formulate the second one. What was your uh, aspirations from? Yeah, I named, I mean, I named a couple of the local historian type writers. I've always read a mixture of nonfiction and fiction. Okay. So I love, you know, like David McCullough and uh, Rob Chernow, Rod Chernow, mm-hmm. and um, Doris Kearns Goodwin, all the usual suspects. If you, if you, you know, watch anything on TV now and somebody's in a room with books behind them and they're, you know, yeah. any kind of per- news person, it's like they have the whole array of different books of historical novels and, I mean, historical uh, endeavors. But anyway, so no, those are ones that, I mean, for as far as nonfiction, um, it, Fiction uh, recently, I mean, like Andrew Doerr's All the Lights I Cannot See, which I just read in the last couple of months, I thought was just amazing. I do like things that I, where I learn something. Mm-hmm. I think his name's Peter May. Is that right? He's the uh, writes Shetland. He's not, it's not Ann Cleves, who I also love, but um, he's written some books about the Shetland Islands, which are really very good. Let's see. When I was growing up, one of my favorite books was um, How Green Was My Valley, uh, which okay. I totally adored as a small child which is about whales and, you know, miners and whales. So a wide variety of things. I've never, I've, I don't, I don't stick with a particular genre. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I thought was an amazing book. Oh yeah, um, And definitely. very fast paced, you know, I love the pace. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I was striving for pace wise. You know, we're, you come from a very Renaissance background. It's just not writing. You have a lot of other creative things. Uh, just stuff that was on your bedstand or nightstand or coffee table that you would read growing up or, you know, during your formative years. And then now, who do you like to read? I mean, the reason I say that is I find it that not everyone reads exclusively in their genre mm-hmm. and that our people are, are well-read across several different genres because that's what interests them. I unfortunately am that anomaly where I just read in my genre because that's the only thing I give a rat's patoot about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why the name of this podcast is called My Favorite Detective Stories because, well, now that you know that I'm an investigator, that I like to read fictional investigators to see how they figure things out. Mm-hmm. So um, that just is me. And I can tell you about a dozen writers that I love, past and present, that are all, you know, writing either police procedurals or flawed fictional detectives. And that's just what I like. But I can't uh, fault other writers for having a wider range of reading. So Mm -hmm. that's fine, too. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, how did it feel that day when you finally hit the the send button or the, the publish button? How did it feel getting the book out into the world that day? Did you do anything special? 
I was, I think I kind of nervous, but I had, I had shown so many people the book that I wasn't, I wasn't like in my in fetal position right. um, in my bedroom, but it was still, it was very nerve wracking. I mean, the first time that you do something like this is totally out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. It's very scary, but I was also, I mean, just worried that there was, because I had done all everything myself, like that there was, you know, there were mistakes and there, there always mm-hmm. are mistakes, mm-hmm. but, which I managed to catch right away. I mean, I found, you know, a couple of my brothers are very good fruit breeders, I found out. Um, <laughs> so... Which was great, yeah. but um, it was alarming and wonderful and stressful. Mm. <laughs> I was, you know, the best thing about this has been that people have reached out to me, you know, that I haven't talked to in 30 years. I read your book. I loved your mm-hmm. book. You know, like that has been terrific. And mm-hmm. I'm even working with two of the people who I hadn't talked to for 30 years are both writers. And we now are sharing, you know, we share manuscripts and mm. Yeah, so that has been really wonderful. But mm-hmm. it was very scary. <laughs> it was very scary. But um, it didn't scare you off because you have another uh, hop, book in the hopper. Yeah. And uh, it's still with the Jay Jake's Discreet Inquiries, but just a different time period with a different uh, protagonist. And you're still interested in saying, well, what about this? What about that? Let me see if I can you know, do this. I can do that. So, no, what I said about what you said about getting in contact with people from 30 years ago as I sit here at my desk podcasting, I have a, uh, a short letter from a woman that graduated from elementary school with me in 1968. <laughs> and she said she was really appreciative of the, the writing that I did. And, and she's looking forward to the next book. And who knew that there would be an author, you know, graduating from our little class, you know, way back when. So that was kind of nice, you know. So you do, That's awesome. you do get to contact people and people are asking you, I didn't know you could write. <laughs> do your books take place um, in Connecticut where you live? One does. Okay. Yeah, I did one in uh, Miami, Miami, as uh, Bugs Bunny would say. <laughs> one in uh, Philadelphia, where I'm from. One in Clearwater, Florida. That is the spring training facility of the Philadelphia Phillies, and I happen to visit there, so it kind of sits next close to my heart. Detroit Wheels, which speaks for itself, Detroit, and then a little uh, town of that has been forgotten in years gone by, Reading, Pennsylvania. So, okay. uh, yes, those are my settings. So, uh, and you write what you know. So, you know, you took. You took it upon yourself to write about something that's in your backyard. You had people doing history research for you. You did a lot of reading and you really, you know, took a nice snapshot or maybe a tintograph of our tintype, whatever that was called back <laughs> in 1850. Uh, daguerreotype, I guess. Daguerreotype, yes. That's it, daguerreotype. I was mixing different. Tintype uh, is close enough though. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but you took it and did it that way, but. Yeah, I didn't know. I did not know anything about Detroit. So I, uh, or Detroit, as the locals would say. So I did an immersion for three days out there. And when I mean an immersion, I went out there like a private investigator going into a strange town and figuring things out. And I did. <laughs> but, uh, and I enjoyed it. And people have said that I caught Detroit the way it was. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, enough about me. <laughs> uh, how can people get in touch with you, Bridget? And uh, where can they find Odette? It is available in bookstores. It's also available on Amazon, of course. They can also go to my website. I have, I'm have. i an illustrator also, so I have robust Instagram feed. It's uh, Bridget Finnegan 33 okay. uh, So people can follow me on that. And I do send out, um, there's some book information, like I'll, we'll be promoting our conversation. Yeah, so uh, any of those ways. And I love to hear from people. So 
Yeah. Bridget, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, and Finnegan, the way we would spell Finnegan. So, and that's .com? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So, BridgetFinnegan.com. So happy to have you on the show. Is there anything that I failed to ask you that you think my readers and my listeners should know about? No, but they should check out, except for they should check out my lake book, because it's a strange little book, but okay. it has fun pictures, and it's uh, it's called um, Lake, a Looney Winnipesaukee Ducktail. Oh. So that's also available on Amazon, and that's that's a it's a it's ages eight and above, so it's a little different than the story about prostitutes, but mm, yeah, um, but it's fun. It's fun. Well, you know, it's okay. You're allowed to write cross genre, and in that case, you're <laughs> you're also able to use your own name, which is cool. That's correct. That's correct. There are some books that writers write that they don't use their own names, and there's a reason <laughs> for it. Anyhow. Yes. And I digress. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Bridget. I really appreciate it, and I thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, John. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. I hope I've earned your interest and your time. If you have any comments, leave them on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Tessa Wager. Tessa is the author of the Shana Merchant series of mysteries, which includes Death in the Family, The Dead Season, and Dead Wind. A former freelance journalist, Tessa's work has appeared in Forbes, The Huffington Post, Adweek, The Economist. Tessa grew up in Quebec and now lives with her husband and children in coastal Connecticut. Tessa is a member of International Thriller Writers, Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime New England, and Sisters in Crime New York. This is going to be a fun interview. This episode was brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong Small Town Cozy Mystery Series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com, and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free.